it's not that hard to start today. And the reason I think you should start immediately because there is amazing ROI that's sitting for you there. Have your say on the topics that matter to you. Jump onto gisdirectionspodcast.com.au and share your ideas. And welcome to the GIS Directions Podcast. I'm Wayne Lee Archer. I'm Josh Vanman. Today we have part two of our deep dive into machine learning. We're going to be joined again by arguably the world's biggest and possibly best known expert in the GIS industry in machine learning, Omar Mayer. Welcome back. Thank you. Thank you, Wayne and Justin. We're extremely excited to be with you guys again. Uh, I really enjoyed the last podcast. I'm very much looking forward to that one. It was a great chat. Great to see you again, Omar. In the last episode, you gave us some great perspective and insights into why organizations should be considering adopting machine learning and looking at solving some of their problems using those techniques. Today, though, we're keen to take it a step further and get your advice and perspective on how users can actually overcome some of that inertia we talked about last time and get started using this technology. Yeah, we're really looking to crack open the Omar playbook and see what it is that will help our our users to actually really take on machine learning. No pressure. No pressure. (laughs) Definitely, definitely. My pleasure. So once an organization's kind of figured out that machine learning is a path that they want to go down, what's step one? Is it something you need a big strategy for? Or do you look at your problem domain and pick one that you think might be a candidate? Where do you start? That's a good question. And I'm coming from a startup background. I co-founded two startups before. So I generally have a preference for starting small and breaking things fast. I definitely encourage like a quick, agile startup kind of movement. And with that capacity, the first question that a startup is trying to answer is, what's the business use case? So my number one recommendation is to try to find out the two or three business cases that are going to use machine learning to make actual value. Try to think of the patterns for what would be beneficial to your business if you make a prediction? What would you like to predict? Mm-hmm. What kind of patterns would you love to find your data? Is there something that could be automated? Is there something that we can use a chatbot for? So these kind of questions can help you find the business use case. I mean, obviously, it differs domain to domain. Oh, no, but that reflects what you were saying in the in the previous episode as to, you know, how do I you know, identify what machine learning could be good for? I think that's a, a really good tip is, you know, keep it simple and not, don't try and eat the elephant all at once. Omar, do you think that's a, a shift in thinking for, I mean, you mentioned the, the kind of startup context, but in larger, you know, long established organizations, do you think that represents a shift in thinking? Absolutely. And that's what we're seeing, right? So many of the organizations that we work with, they try to form the small team to take the lead on machine learning. And it's generally a group of like business people, business leads, uh, along with technical people who understand machine learning. This is usually a group that moves fast, try to find these business use cases I mentioned, try to build some prototypes and proof of concepts, show the value to management, get approval, and then repeat. So try to scale things from there. And this is going to be related to my number two recommendation, which is after finding the business use cases, try to explore the landscape of tools and services. Because today, you don't really need to build everything from scratch. I mean, we have a lot of machine learning and deep learning tools, for example, in ArcGIS Pro and Server and in the Python API, that would save you a lot of time instead of like reinventing the wheel. So that would be the second thing. The third thing is try to think of proof of concepts that you can do in like two to three weeks for these business cases that you've built that can quickly generate turnaround. And that would be a recommendation. Try not to tackle like big projects, big ideas immediately at the beginning. Try to find ways to prove the concept first because that's in the very nature of how machine learning works. You can rarely get the perfect model from day one. 
perfect result, right? You keep trying to find the problem, build a model, for example, make a prediction or see how the model performs, give back to the business users, see if that's what they need. Keep fine tuning, keep optimizing the model, keep getting new data and keep iterating on that. No, that's good insight. It's interesting that we're, we're sort of talking here about uh, keeping it small and, you know, taking a small chunk and, and focusing on that rather than on, uh, you know, large projects. Because um, from my experience, machine learning requires a lot of resources. So when we talk about, you know, keeping it small, we keep the task small, but how big is it going to wind up being? How many machines am I going to wind up meaning behind all of this? Is this a question that you've got a, a ready answer for there, Omar? That's a big question. <laughs> it is a big question, yeah. So let's try to break down this question a little. There is a general pattern that you start small with machines, like, for example, spinning up a virtual data science virtual machine on Azure or Amazon. If you want to do a deep learning workflow, classifying land cover, for example, or detecting objects like buildings, you generally need a GPU for training and inference. So we can start with something like the NVIDIA RTX 2080i, for example, or a V100 on virtual machine on Azure. And the machine does not really need to be like super duper. And then once you start generating some results and you want to scale this, you can think of how to scale the solution. So scaling it and scaling the power or the infrastructure is a matter of a couple of aspects. So one aspect is storage. So where do you store your data? Are you accessing the data or dealing with an exposed service? Are you going to store the data? So that's one aspect. So the more you need to store the data within your infrastructure, the more you need some solutions, right? You need to uh, expand on this. The second thing is how fast do you need the inference to happen in case of deep learning, for example? Like if you are trying to detect objects or you are training a long short term memory net, an LSTM, for example, on a specific time series, forecast, you are forecasting sales, for example, or something like that. So if you are using a deep neural network, how fast do you need the results to be? Because the more powerful GPUs you leverage in general, the faster the results are going to be achieved. And even better, sometimes you can parallelize the inference. So in our case, you can use multiple image servers and leverage distributed raster analytics, have multiple image servers, each with a GPU, so that you can find the building footprints 5 or 10x faster versus one machine. From my own experience of, of exploring this capability in ITIS, I found that my lack of GPU punch were, was a problem pretty early on. In other data processing contexts, you'd probably think, hey, I could try this with a small amount of data to see how long it takes and then extrapolate to see how long it might take on a bigger chunk of data. With machine learning, it feels like you probably can't do that because you need a critical mass of data to make it do anything useful. Is that true? Or do you have any tips for how you can somewhat predict what you might need when you don't know what you'd need? It's not always the case that you need massive data for machine learning or deep learning. Sometimes you need that. Sometimes you can work with less data. I mean, let me give you some examples. We were working with a customer who wanted to detect blight and graffiti and overgrowth and boarded windows on houses from oriented imagery. And for that project, we only needed like 150 examples. I mean, we didn't need thousands of examples. We didn't need tons of data. We just needed 150 photos each photo would have a picture for the house and a label, whether this house has blight or has graffiti and stuff like that, right? So we needed like 150 image for class, and that was good to achieve like 80, 85% accuracy for both the precision and recall. Now with other cases, when we were working with another customer to digitize the whole country, detecting the road segments, detecting the building footprints with different kinds of buildings, different kinds of roads, you know, we really needed a lot of data. We needed like almost 15% of the whole country as, a, as labeled data. So I would say the more the feature is subtle, 
and not that obvious and has wide variety, the more data you need and vice versa. Yeah, I see what you mean. So it's definitely sounding like not the kind of thing that you're going to get into on your old laptop that you've got lying around. We definitely seem to be looking at the uh, the cloud computing sort of aspect side of things to get the scale that's needed to drive these kind of modeling uh, exercises, are we? In general, yes. I mean, in general, you need good equipment and specifically with GPUs in case of deep learning. If you're using classical machine learning, like no deep learning, you definitely need a powerful machine to be able to process the data if you have large amounts of data. Does that make sense? Oh, absolutely. So we've decided to use machine learning. We've identified a problem and some data that we can use for it. We've put it in the cloud so that we can scale it. The next question I've got is, do we then keep training that forever? Or are we going to have the cost of cloud infrastructure uh, on our shoulders forever? And how do we know when to stop? When is good enough? It's generally good enough once there is a decent improvement versus the traditional methods that you are using today. So think of a utility who want to digitize like Utility pulls and lines from billions of point cloud. They have people working manually to classify these point clouds on daily basis, and it's taking them a lot of time. Like I was working with a rail company, for example, they were trying to detect four classes of assets from LiDAR, like mm -hmm. mileposts and road crossings and stuff like that. And it was taking them on average two weeks, two people working full time. We came up with a model that is doing this with like 80, 85% accuracy, but it's doing it like in two hours. Wow. At that point, it's going to be a question, is accuracy more important or is speed more important? So for that specific customer, speed was more important because guess what? We can, through some smart ways, point them to the results with less confidence so that they can manually correct them, like if the classification is wrong or stuff like that. So they can end up with a total of like six hours, maybe one full day versus two weeks. So having a model with 80-85% accuracy, but achieving the whole thing in two hours was good enough for them. No, that's great. And just extending that, that thread of conversation, you know, one of the concepts uh, I've been reading about recently is this notion of models as a service. So if you're like a, a commercial vendor who's trained a neural network, a model in a particular domain, so that it's garner solving the problem against a specific type of data then offers that commercially so their customer never has to do the the whole machine learning training do you think that's going to become a thing oh absolutely i mean specifically in the area of computer vision there are some domains that you can have pre-trained models that could be used as a service there are some others that could be a bit tricky. So think of it that way. If you think about computer vision models, if you want to detect building footprints or road segments or swimming pools or road tracks, generally speaking, these classes are generally similar to each other. You're not going to find a drastic difference between cars. I mean, cars are cars, right? Road tracks are generally similar to each other. So I believe having pre-trained models on massive data sets, models that are portable, that have been trained on multiple geographies, multiple sensors, multiple resolutions, different types of data is needed to enable the majority of people to access the power of deep learning in that case. Is there anything sort of, um, you know, available currently in this space? Are there any GIS specific models? You know, are we anywhere near looking at extract my building footprints with a machine learning model as a service? Yes, we are seeing some companies providing that. I'm not so sure about the quality though. So that's why I think it's a must. It's not that easy to build that, but I think it's a must. And by the way, Esri is starting to make some progress here. We are internally 
trying to build some models that could be used with different sensors, different geographies, different imagery and stuff like that. We are hopefully releasing this sometime next year already. It seems like the future is bright to take advantage of machine learning and as it becomes easier to use. But is it something that people should wait for it to get easier to use before they embrace it and get into it? Or what do you think? Should should you just launch and get comfortable and over time you're just going to find that the whole process becomes more abstracted from you? What, what's your thinking on jump in now or wait? I definitely think people in general, organizations should start today. I think today in the current state of things, there are a lot of technologies in ArcGIS and outside ArcGIS that makes it easier to access machine learning. We have a lot of tools in Pro, in Server, Azure and Amazon have a lot of tools, both. And it's not that hard to start today. And the reason I think you should start immediately because there is amazing ROI that's sitting for you there. We're seeing this happening on a daily basis with small organizations, big organizations. So there is definitely value for you. There is definitely an opportunity and there is definitely ROI. Omar, this is kind of confessing my own experience here, but there are parts of that deep learning workflow that I, I personally found really complex particularly in the area of training the model and terminology like the learning rate and freezing the backbone are kind of alien to you if you're a GIS user. Do you think these steps are going to become a little more abstracted from the end user so that it's a bit more obvious what's going on? I know exactly what you're talking about. It's definitely a pain to try to play with all of these architectures and keep changing these knobs. So why don't we use machine learning for machine learning? We're trying to do that by smartly finding the hyperparameter values and yes, we have examples for this in ArcGIS. There are examples in cloud providers. And luckily, this is accessible today to many more people, not just data scientists. Wow, you've blown my mind with the machines learning off the machines already. Some amazing stuff there, Omar. Thank you so much for those practical pieces of advice and how to get it started with machine learning. Absolutely. So we've added a whole heap of those machine learning resources to the website, including Omar's presentation on this topic, some great case studies. Uh, we've also got webinars and podcasts. So visit gisdirectionspodcast.com.au to access all of those goodies. So thanks again for your time and for joining us, Omar. Been a pleasure, Omar. Thanks, Justin. I really enjoyed it. Thank you. And to our listeners, happy mapping. Until next time. The views and opinions expressed in this podcast are solely those of the hosts and guests and do not necessarily represent the views or opinions of Ezra Australia. 